You know, if you're somebody that lives in the country, in the rural community, you know that you don't take things for granted. Uh, Barn fires, uh, farm accidents, uh, somebody ill at the house. You do not assume that emergency responders are going to be able to be there in a heartbeat. It's uh, sometimes a resource that is overlooked until you need it, and there may be things you don't realize are available to help your community. Joining us today is James Small. He is the Rural EMS Outreach Program Specialist that is working with the Wisconsin Wisconsin Office of Rural Health. So, James, before we get too far down the road, I want people to understand a little bit about your background. Although this may be a new position within the Wisconsin Office of Rural Health, you've been doing this kind of assistance with rural EMS, rural support systems for a while, it looks like. Yeah, I'm in my 30th year um, as an emergency responder in Wisconsin. Um, I started, um, well, I grew up on Washington Island, which is in northern Door County. So if you take Highway 42 until it ends, take a boat another seven miles or so out in the Lake Michigan, there's a tourism-based community um, out on Washington Island with a permanent population of about 700. And I started there as a first responder when I was in high school um, and then went off, um, went to college at um, Carroll in Waukesha. While I was in college, I worked as an EMT for an ambulance service in the Waukesha area. also worked for a private ambulance service in Milwaukee. And then from there, my career's kind of gone in a couple of different directions. But um, I've spent 10 years at this point as a um, chief where I've specialized in combined public safety, where I've been both a police chief and fire chief for two different municipalities. Um, I've gone on and got a master's degree. I have, I'm a certified public manager. I've gone through the program at UW and have done consulting also where I've focused on public safety personnel stuff and, you know, helping figure out how to bring people into your organization and then work on the retention of those people within your organizations mm-hmm. and how do you make the, the service delivery better with okay. that. Well, man, if you grew up in, in on Washington Island, you are the epitome of understanding what rural and uh, remote is. Now, let's talk a little bit about what are some of the greatest challenges you see our rural communities facing today when it comes to some of these critical services that people literally turn to for life and death situations. What are we, help people generally understand the biggest challenges that are being faced in these rural communities, James? Well, I think there's there's two parts right now to the situation that we have in front of us in um, municipal services, just in general, I think. Um, it's money and people. So can you generate the financial resources that are needed to provide the staffing? And then if you can, are you able to recruit the people in and retain them to provide that staffing day after day? So, you know, the question really becomes, how do you provide reliable service so that your primary calls have somebody available to respond every single time, 24-7, 365, and then can you sustain that over a period of time? So there's really two parts to it, because on any given day, I think somebody can produce, you know, you could produce a million dollars and for one day pay someone a million dollars to provide that staffing for your ambulance, for instance, have that those two crew members, they each get a half million dollars, boom, you got staffing, but then the next day you don't. Now, that's a strong exaggeration there, but I think that's really what we're facing. When you look at the cost of a full-time ambulance crew requires six or seven people as full-time employees at a cost of about a half a million dollars a year. When this 
service started back in the late 60s, early 70s, when we started having EMS brought in around the state and around the country, that was largely volunteer-based, so there really wasn't a cost. The cost of the infrastructure for it was was cheap or was 100% funded. And in the early 70s, the state of Wisconsin provided grants to communities all across the state to provide ambulances. Well, now that ambulance is, you know, $250,000, $300,000 once you equip it. So you're looking at substantial amounts of money that need to be generated. And when you go into these rural communities, they don't have the tax base to really support those and, and divide those that cost well over the populace. It becomes extraordinarily expensive very quickly to tr- provide a full-time staffing and a full-time ambulance and so on. Right, yeah. And you're just talking about one facet of what people would rely on, the EMS, the fire side of things. There's so many uh, infrastructure pieces that rural communities are challenged with. And hence, why you have become a part of the Wisconsin Office of Rural Health. Tell me a little bit about this new EMS outreach program that they're moving forward with and really what you hope to accomplish, James. Well, right now there's two there's two parts that we're looking at to the program. One is let's look at the state system as a whole. What's how's the EMS system over the 1500 plus municipalities of Wisconsin look? How is it functioning and where are we at? We know anecdotally that there's um tremendous stress on the system in most areas at this point. There's staffing shortages, there's resource shortages, but nobody's really quantified that. So right now, one of the things that we're looking at is doing a statewide survey to get a lay of the land of what are we looking at on a statewide basis and what kind of resources are needed on a statewide basis to help address that. Um, And then working with other partners and collaborating beyond that to try to find some statewide solutions. And then on an individual service basis, we have a variety of um, things we can do to help individual services that are... Um, struggling, going in and doing an analysis of their system, providing free consulting to them, and just trying to help get them into a better place to help sustain things longer until we can get a long-term plan in place. Because what we don't want to see is where these systems just collapse overnight. And we've seen that, I think, numerous times um, now where, you know, you've got a service that's being run basically by five or six people. Well, what happens if somebody you know, breaks their arm playing softball or any of the other things that happens in life where all at once you've lost one of your critical components that's keeping your system running, and then overnight you've lost your ability to provide service at least part of the time. So we need to figure out a way to make that reliable so that when somebody calls 911 that we know somebody's coming because right now we don't have that. Let's say you've you've already been down this road with several communities across Wisconsin. Talk to us about some of the creative ways that you've tried to come up with solutions for some of these rural communities. Well, in in um, my role as the director of public safety with the village of Palmyra, we used a combined public safety model to to create an internal merger, an internal sharing of resources between our our law enforcement funding and our fire rescue funding. Um, we ended up with six full time positions who are doing all three. That was a a great option for that for Palmyra. It's worked very well there because we've had the right people for it, and it's and the community has accepted it. Now that's not to say that that's a great solution everywhere. Right. Um, I also was in a position where I've also been a fire chief and a police chief to be able to lead that that transition. Um, so I think there's a lot of different options that need to be considered, and it's going to be really individualized by communities. I think each 
local community needs to make its own decisions about what's right for that community. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly not going to be a cookie-cutter approach to solving these problems. I think on a, on a bigger scale, when you look at organizational development and how departments operate internally, there's maybe some more universal things there, but actually from a community-to-community setting, each community needs to be the driver of its decision of what their expectation is for their level of service that they're getting and then how do they want to have that delivered? Absolutely. Well, and I can understand you're you're also, uh, you know, I, I won't say that uh, there's a lot of political change in rural communities, but, you know, like you mentioned, one of your board members uh, doesn't run for another term, and they've been your staunch advocate as far as funding. It is very unique to every community. So what do you suggest? Let's say that there are uh, town board members listening, people that are part of the village board, those rural responders that might be on a volunteer basis but would like to see more. How can they get this process started with you, James? Well, they can they can call our office, first of all, um, or email me. Um, I think you'll probably have that on there. Um, but anyway, our phone number at our office is 608-265-8221, and that comes directly to me. My email is small5, S-M-A-L-L-5, at wisc.edu, W-I-S-C dot E-D-U. Um, and we'd, I'd like to start it out with a conversation because I think sometimes when things aren't going well in organizations, there starts to be the blame versus responsibility game. And, you know, I've had, in my experience, um, elected officials come in and when something didn't go well on a call or there wasn't many people that responded, it's what's wrong with these people that they didn't come to the call? Well, when you're dealing with a predominantly volunteer organization, like in the one instance I'm thinking of, everybody was at work. They're at their full-time jobs, and they weren't available to respond. It wasn't that they didn't want to. So it's not that there's something wrong with your providers. They're the ones keeping the wheels turning, and we, I think we need to respect that. But we need to approach this with an open mind to look at what the situation is and take responsibility for what our roles are in each part of it to correct some of the issues and move things forward in a constructive way. Um, so I think things really start with a conversation and say, what, what is it that's going on? Where do we need to go? And then how do we bridge that gap in between? And each, each solution is going to be a little bit different. And, um, but I think it's a good conversation for us to have because at, at some point here, a large majority of our current system in Wisconsin is going to collapse. I think we know that. We, we've seen the, the data on that, and we know what's happening, and we know what's happening in other parts of the United States. So it's not just unique to Wisconsin. This is kind of with EMS 1.0 has kind of run its 50-year lifespan, and now we need to figure out what the next 50 years is going to look like, and we're all kind of dealing with that all at the same time. You know, you mentioned uh, sometimes there's frustration uh, that you want the process to move faster. For communities that want to engage with you, James, what is a realistic expectation of making some tactile changes that will make them feel better? Oh, I think um, in government, you got to assume that everything takes at least twice as long as you think it should, and it costs four times as much, or is it the other way around? Maybe four times as long, it costs twice as much. But, um, you know, take something like a consolidation with a neighboring service. I think there's a thought that, hey, we just combine the budget together and away we go. That's a realistically a three- to five-year process if you want to do it correctly. So there's not an overnight fix to any of these problems, but these problems didn't develop overnight. 
they've been developing for a long time, and now they've hit this crisis point. So it's going to take some time to work your way back out of them, too, and there might be some hiccups and some some misses and some changes in direction during the process, too. But I think that's normal. And the, the goal needs to be how do we provide good level good level of service at the street level when somebody calls 911.